It was a time when pro wrestling was a pop culture phenomenon. Talk about your songs, talk about John 316. Austin 316 says I just whipped your ass. Pay-per-view quality matches live on free TV every Monday night. Monday, July 6th. Back at the battle between WCW Monday Nitro and WWF Monday Night Raw. It's me, Austin! Oh, son of a bitch! What? It's me, Austin! It was me all along, Austin! This is Reliving the War with Simon Tackler and Nims Azul. You can call this the new world order of wrestling, brother! Welcome, everyone, to Reliving the War, hosted by the Grey Wolf Entertainment Network. My name is Nims Azor, joined as always by my co-host Simon Tackler. We are doing exactly what it says on the tin, reliving the Monday Night Wars. We're getting into 1997. And a big thank you to our special guests and good friends of the show, Chris Gale and Andrew Rose, who jumped on to cover WCW Uncensored with us. But right now, it is time to go back to the WWF and check out their latest in-your-house offering. Simon, welcome first off. And secondly, do you think... After watching Uncensored, compare that to WrestleMania. Who won that month? Oh, I'd give that one to WCW. Uncensored was a lot more fun than WrestleMania 13. What WrestleMania 13 was missing was fun. It just felt like a drag. You know, there were two two good matches, Brett and mm-hmm. Austin and the Chicago Street Fight six-man tag. But aside from that, I would never want to watch that show again. <laughs> yeah it, it's really good that like the good parts of that um pay-per-view are on dvds like austin's dvd bret hart's dvd jesus no, i think my dad will get that uh, who calls on a yeah, sunday yeah. oh no jeez louise <laughs> yeah, i'll tell you what simon you want to talk about us reliving 1997 if, if a home phone interrupting a podcast <laughs> Isn't a throwback to 1997. I don't know what is calling from beyond the grave from the hotline. (laughs) (laughs) He knows that I didn't ask my parents first to call and get who's the hot tip from. (laughs) But I know let's let's get straight into it because WWF Revenge of the Taker I thought was a bit of a bounce back by the World Wrestling Federation. It was uh, look we we've been saying we've been championing these in your house papers because they're bite sized about two hours they're done and dusted but uh when you first started off watching in your house Revenge to the taker we got the the wwf intro but i don't know about you some but i was really blown away by the video package it was top notch and i didn't actually realize that um this blood feud between mankind and undertaker has been going on for so long like even before SummerSlam. Yeah, I mean, this is by this point now, because what's this, April 97, they mm-hmm. started feuding in ooh, like May 96 yeah. or something. Yeah. yeah, before King of the Ring, because they have an interaction there and, and you know, the match there. And it goes from like, this is one of the longest running feuds in the WWF at this point, takes Undertaker to another level, like changing his style. And Mankind is basically a main eventer from the moment he gets to the, the Federation. Yeah, you're not wrong. And this intro just really, really set up what this match was going to be, which I thought was really strange considering the fact that this was the second last match on the card, but we'll get into that a little bit later on. 
intro kicked us off with a bang and the pyro just seemed a lot bigger than the regular in your house shows do you reckon that this is them really trying their best to wash out the bad taste of mania 13 i feel like they're wanting to step it up they know 96 was sort of rebuilding 97 they're moving things into a new direction trying to make these in your house events bigger with these cool themes and you know different presentation and yeah i noticed the pyro look good but i also noticed vince mcmahon i think he forgot the name of the show because normally vince mcmahon will say welcome everyone to wrestlemania <laughs> SummerSlam, whatever this time it was like a generic um like audio clip from a video game he said welcome everyone to the world wrestling federation it's like mm. yeah i know it's the world wrestling federation what show yeah. am i watching vince he didn't know yeah, he very much did sort of feel like someone had just taken the commentary from WrestleMania, the arcade game, and snapped <laughs> it into the front of that thing. But you're right, this did seem like a bigger in-your-house than the usual ones, and they did step it up a fair bit. This was pretty cool, too. The first match to kick us off was the Legion of Doom versus Owen and Bulldog. Now, in between the time of WrestleMania 13 and uh, in-your-house Revenge of the Taker, the Heart Foundation's reformed, so Brett and not Brett, sorry, Owen and Bulldog actually come out to Brett's theme here. It's also, they do a couple of cutaways and throwbacks. I think it's also the first time I've seen Raw is War changed over because they were showing clips from episodes of Raw and interactions between god-awful Godwins, uh, the Legion of Doom, and Owen and Bulldog, and Raw is War was the graphics. It wasn't Monday Night Raw. Yeah, I think there was an infamously bad episode of Raw between Mania and this pay-per-view where the ratings were so low that they just said, all right, we're changing everything. They started using the Marilyn Manson Beautiful People opening. They rebranded to Monday Night War. I think this is when we saw the new set introduced, mm -hmm. like sort of yep. the iconic Raw set with the Titantron. Um, so yeah, we're, we're really into the swing of things he here. Um, and to me, this pay-per-view wasn't, that great i know i've been saying for months wait till 97 97's awesome i feel like but from this point onwards wwf is yeah really on an upswing and untouchable this is a bit of a building block heavy because not only do you have owen and bulldog like they've been a staple in the in the past couple of episodes of reliving the war for us and they've been real mvps carrying that tag division but uh legion of doom they've been gone from the wwe for a fair while too this is kind of like it almost feels like when they brought back warrior for king of the ring 96 with the legion of doom in 97 yeah i think the road warriors like worked out better than the ultimate That's what they warrior. certainly did that's yeah, unfair yeah. <laughs> you know they had the great match at wrestlemania um, the crowd was still into them. They were into Ultimate Warrior too, but they have a pretty good 97 from what I can remember in the WWE. Um, after that, not so much with LOD 2000, but we'll get to yeah. that when it rolls around. But, you know, people talk about the Road Warrior pop and the LOD coming out first, man, they got a huge reaction on this show. And one thing I love about their WWE theme music sort of to the beat it's really easy to chant lod and it fits mm -hmm. the music it just works perfect and you know and even when you think oh yeah the crowd has given their big reaction the guys are in the ring now they're going to calm down no that's when they start the lod chant like you can't understate how popular these guys were LOD also have a fantastic look. We all remember the spikes, the face paint, Hawk and Animal. They're still in really good shape as well. Like Hawk looked like a million bucks. Animal, mm. same deal. We're so, I think we're so used to seeing Animal like 
in the late WCW run where he was just a single star and in his indie appearances where he had kind of that little gut and or where he teamed with Heidenreich in the mid 2000s (laughs) oh no yeah that one was just awful but there's some and the best part too is you see some incredible power moves from LOD because that's the sort of tag team they were they were two huge powerful monsters yeah it was like imagine having two Goldbergs as a tag team you know that's the fun thing about the LOD it's like (laughs) these two overpowered guys what if you had Goldberg and Brock Lesnar but they were a tag team and they just destroy everyone I thought they had pretty good chemistry with Owen and Bulldog um the crowd didn't seem like they were fully into this match they like peaked at certain points but it was pretty fun a good opener you know can't complain it really was. LOD are clearly the favourites here. Uh, we did see a slight cutaway of Stone Cold Steve Austin airing to the arena late. Um, arriving to the arena late, sorry. And you can sort of see that they're really putting all their... Like, they're really boosting the stock of Austin now. Like, he's definitely becoming a major player. He's getting the Mark Mero 96 treatment here. <laughs> I think they realised after a few months, you know, they wrestled at King of the Ring 96, but a few months in, they were like, oh, okay. Yeah, we should be hyping this guy, not that one. <laughs> Correct. Uh, it was a pretty good back and forth there. JR, I thought, was really, really good on commentary. So much so that there's a line that stood out to me where he mentioned that LOD have had the WWF Tag Team Championships before. They won it at SummerSlam 1991 from the Nasty Boys, and they're back to win them again. Like That's a little one percenter that I thought really added to the match. Yeah, and that was the the story of the Road Warriors coming back in 97. It was, you know, can they relive their former glory and become champions again? And I'm I'm glad they pushed it like that because, yeah, it was cool. They were a legacy team. Even by this point, they were around for, you know, a decade. So, yeah, it was a cool story to see, you know, can they hang with who the commentators were calling the greatest tag team of all time in Owen and Bulldog. So that made it feel even more important. Um, yeah. They did sort of a fake-out finish in this match, though. You know, what people would refer to as a dusty finish. Just uh, Road... about to ask you that. Yeah, Road Warriors got the win. Then the referee was like, no, no, you pinned the illegal man. And the match had to be restarted. And, you know, the crowd stayed into it from there. Um... I actually thought that, because you're right, there were some very lull, like dull points of the uh, of the match where the crowd didn't seem too into it. They ch- they were chanting for LOD and stuff like that. But the minute they won, and I use the air quotes here, when they won the t- tag team titles, then the ref came out and restarted the match. That's when the crowd really got fever pitch, I found. Yeah, it, it almost feels like a risk when you do that sort of ending. Like, is the crowd going to stick with it? But yeah, it did take the heat up a notch. Um, But then what made it annoying, instead of the match ending decisively after that, it then ended with a run-in from Bret Hart to sort of screw the match up again, which I guess established the Hart Foundation as like, these are the big bad guys on the show now, and, you know, they've ruined it for the Road Warriors. Yeah, so the Road Warriors won via DQ. They didn't get the Tag Team Championships. It really established the Hart Foundation as slimy, slimy heels. Bret Hart... It's, it, he was a show, little bit late to break up that pin too, though, on Brett. He, to be was, he was a little bit. In fact, the entire Heart Foundation were slightly off with their timing because there's a bit where they're told, if you don't get back into the ring by the count of 10, <laughs> that you will be stripped of the titles. And it gets to about nine and they're still walking in the aisleway before they both realize, 
oh damn it and just leg it to get in i'm this yeah i will like, say oh, just, just one more thing on this match i know there are a lot of old school fans who will say oh i preferred the road warriors in the nwa because they used iron man by black sabbath as their theme song i like the lod wwe music i think it fits them perfectly it's really cool and the other thing people will complain about is saying, oh, why did they call them the Legion of Doom and not the Road Warriors? They did call them the Road Warriors. Listen mm. to Fink's, Howard Finkel's introduction. I always loved the way he would say, Road Warrior Hawk, Road Warrior Animal, the Legion of Doom. They're the still Doom. Road yeah. Warriors, but together they're the Legion of Doom. So I don't know. Yeah. It's a strange one too. Plus, I've got a lot of uh, fond memories of the Legion of Doom theme from, you know, remember when you do that thing where you'd accidentally fall asleep while having a DVD on? <laughs> the Legion of Doom theme on there, on the Road Warriors uh, DVD was the menu music. So you'd fall asleep and then wake up to, <laughs> It's a good alarm tone, actually. That's a good one. Just talk really, saying, what a rush. It really is. Uh, look, post-match, we then had uh, Doc Hendricks, and I'll tell you what, there is a lot of hype for Stone Cold Steve Austin, that little pre-tape, isn't there? There's a lot of Doc Hendricks on this show too, I'll tell <laughs> yeah. you that. He's, he's doing the mean like... gene. What's that? He's doing a mean gene. Yeah. He's, really, he's the... He could anchor the show. He's a little... He's like the, the thread that goes through the entire thing too. But uh, there is a lot of hype for Stone Cold being here. And the other thing that I found interesting was the superstar room that is really on the nose a little bit with Sonny and Brian Pillman. Yeah, they're really pushing the whole attitude thing here because the superstar lounge with Sonny and Brian Pillman was like their equivalent of Mean Jeans hotline. But the way they sold this was that the superstar lounge was basically like a late night sex ad. Like Pillman yep. and Sonny kept using innu innuendo and they were like rubbing and hugging each other. And they were like, oh, get your parents to give you permission to hear this because it's going to be real steamy. It was, it was odd. It was so strange too. And especially like with the visuals too of Brian Pillman, like he could not get any closer to Sonny if he tried. He could, like, but we, you know. Oh, mate. But the funniest thing, though, was the disclaimer from Sonny saying, remember, kids, get your parents' permission. <laughs> yeah, she had to push that. I will say, though, watching that segment, there are, uh, it's such a shame for both, like, Sonny and Brian Pillman, two of the most charismatic performers of this era. Anytime we see them on these shows, they are just, like, two of the best. You know, obviously, we didn't really get to see Pillman in the ring much. But in terms of just on-screen characters, they're both so good and yeah, it's tragic what happened for, for both of them in different ways. Yeah, correct. Uh, they started off, uh, and we'll do this at the end of the 97, because to see where people start in 1997 in the WWF and end up is, mm. a, re is a really interesting thread to pull. But uh, we then get on to our next match, which is the Nation, uh, Savia Vega representing the Nation of Domination, taking on Rocky Maivia. Now, it's... The first thing, I don't know if you noticed this too, as the nation's coming out, the amount of like little maybe 12-year-old Caucasian kids in the crowd doing the Nation of Domination Black Power salute. Did you happen <laughs> to notice that in the crowd? They were into it, raising the fist. They want to be part of the nation too. Well, because the nation by this point isn't portrayed as a black militant group anymore. They're now a, a mixed race hmm. We're, we're, just here. We're, we're trying to run away from the controversy group. And, yeah, we're running know. away from the controversy, but at the same time, we're not thugs. We're not thugs. Yeah, we're like, not yeah. a gang. We're not thugs. Yeah, it, it was it's, weird. It's, 
it's a little odd one there. And then it cutaways to Rocky Maivia and Kevin Kelly. It's strange after after seeing uh, what Rock and Kevin Kelly's interactions would become later on in the Attitude Era to see The Rock so humble towards Kevin Kelly. Although this is the first step to The Rock that we know because he cut the pineapple hair. Yes. And he's yeah, growing he the sideburns a little bit. So we're getting closer to The Rock, but just inch by inch at this stage. Um, he cuts a really straight ahead white meat baby face promo. But even at this point, like... Dwayne Johnson, The Rock, so well-spoken. Like, mm. he did as good as you could do with the material given here. Yeah, he certainly did, and you can't fault him for that. It's a pretty it's pretty stock standard, and he's just doing what he's told, I'm guessing. Mm. But one weird thing is, I felt like this entire match between Rocky and Savio Vega was a complete afterthought, because Farouk comes out on commentary, and all he's doing is talking about building up that fight to Ahmed Johnson. And we get it. Like, he was in a feud with Ahmed Johnson at the time. But it's almost like The Rock versus Savio Vega is not even happening in the background. Which is weird because it's for the Intercontinental Championship too. And yeah, yeah, the match might as well not even have happened. It didn't matter. Farouk on commentary is the main thing they focus on. They even cut away to him on split screen. and, And yeah, and to be honest, the crowd was reacting like this match wasn't happening either. Like they could not care less. Yeah, you're not wrong. And one thing that did stand out for me is like, it seems like every single pay-per-view that we do that's a WWF one in this era, we find a line from, or just an attitude from Jerry the King Law that just does not sit right. There was something he was saying about being hooked on a bonics. And it's just kind of like, oh no. I picked up on that too. And I had to Google it because I know what it means. And I sort of get, get the reference, but I was trying to see, was there like, maybe a sketch on SNL in this era that Jerry was uh, referencing. Was there any reason why he would say it here specifically? And it's lost in translation. Yeah. No, no, I looked it up. No, because yeah, there were the, the books hooked on phonics. So I suppose the joke, you know, at different times was all hooked on ebonics. Um, Mm. Yeah. For those who don't know, sort of like, you know, African-American slang or whatever, but it just really felt weird that Jerry Lawler was like, ha ha, Ahmed's hooked on a bonics. Can you speak it to tone it down for him, Farouk? And Farouk kind of brushed it off though. I think he really (laughs) didn't want to play along. He's like, yeah, I can do that if I want, but you know, I don't have to. And you know, Ahmed, Mm -hmm. this and that. And yeah, it was just, uh, that, that stood out to me too. When you do a deep dive, I mean, I'm sure like after Farouk, Ron Simmons had to work in and WCW in the early 90s. I'm sure that was probably just scratching the surface of the borderline racism that he probably copped in the day. But uh, we get back to the match that allegedly was still going on. Crush <laughs> has cost Savio Vega the belt. And the nation of domination looks like it's about to explode here. Yeah, that's right. Crush costs Savio the IC title because... He gets Rocky on the outside and hits him with the heart punch. I think we've (laughs) mentioned it before. Does one has one guy had two worse finishes than crush? He had the head crush and the heart punch. It's like, they're like, Hey man, we don't trust you to do anything complicated. (laughs) Hold the guy's head or punch him in the chest real lightly. That's it. But just, it knocks Rocky and, and look credit to the rock. He does a classic rock cell where he gets hit by the heart punch and does a flip on his head. Like he's just <laughs> died. Um, but yeah, to, to lose a match to the heart punch in 1997 is just ridiculous. Yeah, also, it's a, it's a, I'm looking yeah. at my notes. I wrote that with a typo. 
and I wrote crush hits a heart pinch and rocket scan it out, which is even better <laughs> if he just went up to the rock and pinched him on the chest. So, so then after that, there's a bit of a brouhaha going on between the nation of domination. They're all arguing. Farouk gets in and in what is the best pro wrestling trope ever, which is just like, guys, guys, let's stop fighting and just beat down the guy. <laughs> we don't hate each other. We hate him. Yeah. So The Rock gets absolutely pummeled by the nation of domination. Now, here's the weird bit too. Ahmed Johnson then comes out with the save. He's got a two by four with him. And a hell of an outfit as well. Oh man, it's all red. It's like red velour pants and red, red socks. <laughs> it's so good. But Ahmed's promo afterwards, it made me literally stand up and go, hang on a second. What did he just say? Like I didn't go back and <laughs> rewind it. But he refers to he refers to the nation of domination. So the basis of their feud is you will go through all of the nation of domination. Now he refers to uh he refers to Farouk, Crush, and Savio Vega as an illegal immigrant, something else, which I didn't quite pick up. And just he just flat out goes and uses like a racial slur towards Farouk. And you're just like, what are you doing, Did man? He? I didn't notice that because it was just oh, well, Ahmed mumbling. It, it, I missed it. It was Ahmed mumbling, but I, I pricked my ears up at, at uh, like, he didn't say the N-word or anything bad like that. But it was just one of those things where it's like, it's the equivalent of, say, like, calling a white person a honky kind of thing oh, okay. like and and i and i was just like and because you know what it's like to rewind on the wwe network you accidentally hit rewind and next thing you know you're in a pay you from you know, 2004 <laughs> but um, i was just like what the hell but a different time and he has accepted that uh he will be taking on all three members of the nation of domination but uh, what did you think of the match because like if i haven't made it clear enough it's it it was more about Farouk on commentary. Oh, I was like the crowd. I couldn't care less about this match and I have no thoughts on it. Like they did some <laughs> wrestling, but it was all for nothing. And poor Ahmed comes out though and he's trying to accept the challenge, but the crowd didn't hear Farouk on commentary. They don't know what the challenge is. So Ahmed Johnson's like, I'm going to take you all on. I'm going to beat you all. I'll accept your challenge. And the crowd's like, eh, don't know how to react. <laughs> and then I think he figured that out and he's like, I'll fight all of you one by one. And if I beat you, you break up. Like he had to explain it because no one knew what he was talking about. No, nah, no, nah, not at all. So look, it wasn't a bad match. It wasn't by any means like something awful to watch. It was just very there. Like mm. it, it was just, it was just in the universe there. Uh, we move on to the little AOL segment where Ken Shamrock is there using AOL. Strange. Very strange. Ken, Ken Shamrock's there on the internet surfing the web. Um, and they point out on commentary, though, they're like, oh, you know, you want to hear what he has to say tomorrow night on Raw. We hear Ken Shamrock is going to challenge Mike Tyson to a fight. And that was a thing I think WWE wanted to try and make happen. Like before mm. they figured out what they were going to do with Tyson, you know, in, in the start of 98. But I think there were rumors because I tried reading up about it before we were recording today. But they wanted to try and set up Shamrock and Tyson in the WWE because oh wow UFC boxing happening in the WWE that would have been massive. So this was like the the oh, epic precursor to Conor McGregor versus Floyd Mayweather. Yeah, that's it exactly. They could have pulled it off. Could have pulled it off, but uh, yeah, the world's most dangerous man. Now it was just so weird seeing Ken Shamrock use a computer there. But uh, <laughs> uh, we then get to another Doc Hendrick segment, Sable and Mark Mirror. Now I didn't realize that Mark Mirror is actually 
injured here. He got an interview there. He's talking about the Golden Gloves and Lord knows what else. But the real, the real selling point in this interview is Stone Cold Steve Austin going to the toilet and then <laughs> getting, then and then it's like. I, 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 the best way I can describe it is like Looney Tunes style. Like it's like the door closes and you see like a biff bang. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And like a puff, like a big smoke cloud coming out of the door, all of that. Because yeah, he walks in and then yeah, Bulldog and Owen run in and just beat him up in the toilet. To be fair though, it's Austin's fault. Why did he interrupt this promo and like walk <laughs> to the toilet behind them? That was clearly in shot. You should have waited. You made it obvious. Bulldog and Owen were just watching the show and they saw Austin like go and they're like, oh, we know where he is. He's behind the promo. So, you know, Austin was asking for it. By any chance, did you did you find it as amusing as I did when Owen and Bulldog leave the toilet with, with like the tire wrenches and look at the camera like... <laughs> yeah, yeah, they were looking around like, again, like cartoon bad guys about to rob a bank. It was pretty funny. Uh, Aust- um, Bulldog and Owen, not only in that scene, but also going back to their promo when Doc Hendricks was like, you know, I've heard Austin has arrived. Owen just real subtly says, it's not Austin. There's heaps of bald guys bald walking guys. around backstage. Like, yeah, that was, <laughs> yeah. Owen and Bulldog are always fun as these kind of heels. Yeah, so underrated there, but yeah, also, it was a very, very, yeah. Vince McMahon, I know we've spoken about his obsession with Mark Merrill and Sable before, but he dropped another one here before they cut to Doc Hendricks. Someone said, oh, what a sight to see. I think about like the, the crowd in the, you know, mm. in the audience. And he goes, talk about a sight to see Doc Hendricks standing backstage with Mark Merrill and Sable. Like he <laughs> loves Mark Merrill and Sable. He wants to... <laughs> being a, a thruple with them and, and move in and live with them <laughs> like what a oh, weird thing not, to say it's so strange but yeah he's he still hasn't given up on the mark Merrow express <laughs> no. who cares if people are wearing austin 316 shirts they don't know what they want they want mark Merrow. and talk more about your golden gloves mark that's what people <laughs> want to hear we then get to our next match, which is the real Double J versus a, a new debut. I mean, first off, if you're not sure who the real Double J is, it is Jesse James, uh, the road dog, in other words. Mm-hmm. And he comes out singing. Th- now, this is the point where Jeff Jarrett, he's no longer in the WWF. Obviously, I mean, we talked about him in the Horseman in our previous episode of Reliving the War. But it's said that it is actually road dog the roadie that was doing the real singing every time Double J was singing. And to be fair, the road dog's singing as he comes to the ring and he doesn't sound half bad. Oh, well, he's also half lip syncing. So that probably, <laughs> I'll be on a backing track. No disrespect. He does sound okay. One thing I noticed, and I've tried looking it up because I don't know if it was a misprint or they were trying to like do something, you know, like weird wrestling spelling so they can trademark it. But James, like Jesse James, James was spelt with so, two M's. So I could tell you why they did that. So the the whole thing was Jeff Jarrett's. Jeff Jarrett's catchphrase was Jeff. That's Jeff Jarrett. J E double F J A double R E double T. Now, when Jarrett left and Jesse James became the real Double J, to get the same sort of cadence, uh, cadence yeah, it's that's. Jesse James, J E double S E J A double M E S. Oh, wow. That's so funny. Okay. Now, because <laughs> when that match was on, my wife was sitting there just for a few minutes watching this show. And she's like, why do they spell it with two M's? And I was like, I don't know. Maybe it's a misprint. That, 
is the reason. And that and only that is the only reason there are two M's. I'm surprised they didn't put two S's. Just see Jummers. <laughs> That's like, honestly, MVP, who's an amazing wrestler. He's one of my favorites. He's doing amazing work. But I always felt like he, and I, I want to know the story, but it always felt like he came up with the name and the character for MVP, which is brilliant, but then had to fit in three names <laughs> that fit for MVP. <laughs> And then he was something. It's Montel Vontavious Porter. Porter, yeah. <laughs> it's pretty much exactly the same there. But look, this was an interesting match because the Honky Tonk Man comes out and introduces us a repackaged Billy Gun. The smoking guns are the smoking guns are done and dusted. Thank heavens for that. However, the bad thing is Billy Gunn is now Rockabilly, and man, did they really try to sell Rockabilly. Oh man, talk about no reactions. We said the crowd didn't care about Savio and the Rocks match when Rockabilly came out. It wasn't even a boo. There was literally nothing. It was and literally he came just out dancing and trying to just get do anything and no one. Yeah, he kept pointing at his back. He's doing he's, like, doing, he's doing like the three-man band point and oh, oh. awful, awful stuff. Too. <laughs> and I just put here my notes just say. This is not good. <laughs> not good at all. I got to say, it's also funny with the road dog, speaking of like a weird reaction. I know Jesse James was meant to be the good guy because he was the real Double J. He actually sang the song. He's got this nice country voice. But he's singing a country love song in 1997 and that's the reason why he's the hero? You know what I mean? Mm. Like to me, that's so weird. That would be like, you know cool icon for teenagers garth brooks like yeah get stuff. <laughs> that you know, imagine in grade 12 you oh sorry in like grade six when you're 12 you're like i'm cool i listen to lip biscuit or 28 days and then some kids like you know i love shit no, no, garth, garth brooks is where it's at oh no like have you ever heard of the dixie chicks <laughs> yeah, really exactly good. <laughs> exactly and i know that's such an old-fashioned sense of like what's cool and whatever but no nah, this was never going to work in 97 in 90 i did i barely worked in 1996 let alone uh <laughs> 97 but uh look Road the weird part too is road dog gets the win Rockabilly doesn't even win on his debut match. Which makes it even weirder because I thought for sure, I'm like, oh yeah, Billy wins this to establish that, you know, he's a new honky-tonk man, protege and Rockabilly and is this d- dirty bad guy. But no, yeah, Road Dog wins. These guys this have d- joked in the past that the reason why they joined together is because they were at the bottom of the card. They only ever wrestled each other. And the only guy either one of them could beat was the other guy. So they thought, you know, let's just see what happens if we join up. And man, by the end of 97, things are so different for these guys. You are so, you are so right there. And if, if you're ever wondering too, why when the New Age Outlaws did break up, we never saw a match of the two guys against each other. Probably this is a good reason why no. <laughs> they never they never did a New Age Outlaws explode match. But... There really are some tag teams who don't have chemi- chemistry against each other. You always think, oh my God, it's going to be the best if they break up. But yeah, New Age Outlaws are in the long tradition of it being a real disappointment. Correct. It and And like, that's the thing. It's um, oh, what was it? it? Because it's you, you're absolutely right in the sense everyone was so thinking, oh well, they spend so much time around each other because, and the track record. I mean, you look at Diesel and Razor, 
they were a great uh, they were a great uh, one-on-one combination same you could even argue too i guess if we're in this era triple h versus um x park mm. had some great matches together but yeah these two road dog and and billy gunn no no and let's and not even christian ever really have a classic match they had some good ones but not some classic. good ones but not a classic i think you're right there, there the there... hardy boys never had a classic oh, never had a classic they you always that... think they would but they don't yeah they don't yeah that's actually a really good point but uh yeah whereas you see like randy orton and christian fantastic matches hmm, so yeah. strange strange one there but we'll move on to our next segment which i have to uh, we got to mention this one Doc Hendricks, who, as you mentioned, has been the real MVP of this show. He is doing like a shop zone ad, shilling an Undertaker door banner for 30 bucks. And the best part is, the best part is too, you can order it in Canada. And also, it's actually seven foot. He kept saying, this is seven (laughs) foot tall. Um, I loved these door banners as a kid. I never had one, but I was always, look, so before there was the internet and you could, you know, browse shop zone, in the WWF magazine every month, there'd be like a two-page spread of what's on sale and, you know, you call up an order. I remember seeing the door banners and thinking that was so cool and wanting one for my bedroom, but I could never order. You know, my parents were never going to pay, you know, $100 shipping or whatever for one of these, but man, they look cool. I still remember, so when the first ever WWE show came down, uh, because this was obviously in the era where we were still sort of in high school and whatnot, you just load up on merch. You would spend so much money on yeah, merch at the shows. You'd fill your backpack because you're not going to pay for shipping. And, no. you know, no one's going to, your parents aren't going to give you their credit cards. You could, what, call the undertaker and order a door? <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty cool, though. Imagine you had the undertaker door banner. It would be pretty cool. It did look pretty badass, and you'd probably buy it at ShopZone now. But <laughs> we then get we then get another interview with Stone Cold Steve Austin. He's with Kevin Kelly and Gorilla Monsoon, who's just there for some reason. Uh, oh, he's still the authority role, isn't he? Gorilla the Monsoon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Taking over from Jack Tunney there, and Stone Cold is just he's has reached peak Stone Cold here. Like the character, he knows exactly what he's doing. Yeah, he's angry. He says, you know, I don't care if I was jumped, I'm still going to wrestle. They do a really cool thing here, though. You mentioned that uh, Taker and Mankind was the main event, but Monsoon says here the only person who knows how hurt Austin is, is Austin. So if he wants to wrestle, I'm going to let him wrestle, but I'll let him, uh, you know, heal up. So that match, Brett and Austin is now the main event. So Austin has time to recover. I thought that was, uh, yeah, a great a nice storyline idea. Very cool there. We then cross to an announcer that I've never, ever heard of before or since, Lance Wright with the Heart Foundation. I First didn't, off. Didn't know who he was? Who, yeah, who is Lance Wright? Now, normally, you know, you're able to find some stuff about these guys and just dig a little bit deeper, but could you find anything on Lance Wright? Because I the hell sure couldn't. The only thing I found is that he was in ECW for a really short time doing a similar thing. Like he would do like backstage um, merchandise things like, oh, call and get your ECW t-shirt. But it was really hard to find anything more than that. I think he had a very short run in wrestling. I don't know who he is or what he's up to now. Yeah, yeah, like your Todd Pettingills and stuff like that. Even your um, uh, 
your Scott Stanford's guys like that, those little bit part players. Yeah. It's pretty easy. It's pretty easy to find stuff. But this Lance Wright guy, you could put any two names together and any rando in in there with the Heart Foundation. I'd be and I'd give you the same reaction. Yeah. Uh, did, did you find <laughs> did you find that Bret Hart during this promo had a real odd look during his face? I wasn't listening. Seem- I was just Googling Lance Wright. Honestly, I didn't <laughs> hear this promo at all. All I could say was that this is such an odd thing to sort of see because we're so used to seeing Bret Hart as like from WrestleMania 2 for crying out loud, he's been with that company and always as the same dude, but he's completely different here. A bit heelish. Owen and Bulldog though, absolutely hilarious. (laughs) Yeah, I think they sort of balance Bret out because Bret was the really serious one. Bulldog and Owen bring sort of that, you know, the fun heel. They were a great team. Like the Hart Foundation in 97, we're just getting started here. We're going to see so much good stuff from these guys, especially when they add the anvil and they add Brian Pillman. Like it just gets better. Yeah, it really does too. We then get to a video package for Undertaker versus Mankind. There's a little backstage interview with Paul Bearer and Mankind too. We mentioned this at the top, but this is a feud that we didn't realize it, it's which is kind of nice because you see in wrestling these days, it's like, oh my god, they're doing such and such versus old mate again. Oh, I can't believe it. Why? Whereas this went by really quickly. Yeah, and this one's good because it started off as a personal issue. They had different gimmick matches, but now they've taken it to the point where Undertaker's the champion. So now it's for the title. So I kind of like that when a feud progresses sort of through the card as well, you know. Sort of like Jericho and Michaels, you know, years later, yeah. where they were feuding in the mid card, it was a personal issue. But then, oh my God, Jericho's the champion, so now it's a world title feud. So, yeah, I, I like this. And also, this video package for the match, it was different to the one at the start of the show, but equally as good. This one was voiced by Todd Pettingill, who I think mm-hmm. we've mentioned a few times. Maybe we didn't realize he did a lot of these voiceovers for the promo packages, but he is so good at it. Like Ben. Having the voiceover for a package, I think it's underrated. They stopped doing it a few years later, but it's really good. And he's, you know, brilliant. He certainly is. He's one of the best. That you, and probably only now with the benefit of hindsight, we go back and rewatch that we see his fingerprints on stuff like this too. But yeah. we get to the match. Uh, another key integral part of the story is that The Undertaker had his face burned by Mankind and uh, Paul Bearer on an episode of Monday Night Raw because, you know, why escalate fire and feuds just seem to be a big thing in 97 WWE. Um, Undertaker's got like a little bandage on he, on the top of his right eye from the burning. And this is a pretty hardcore match for a match that's, a, first off, a championship match. And secondly has got like, you know, disqualification rules, things like that. They they take each other to the cleaners here. This match is brutal. I think I mentioned it on the a couple of shows ago saying, man, I can't wait to watch this again because I remember this being way more violent than it should have been. And it hmm. was like their um, Buried Alive match is really cool. They beat the hell out of each other. Their singles matches were good. Um, you know, the one they had at Survivor Series was good. These guys have good chemistry, but this one, for whatever reason, is just so violent. And I know it suits the story because, you know, The Undertaker's been burnt. But, like, from the get-go, they just start brawling. There's no lockup. Yep. They just start punching, which is, you know, makes sense. Then they go on to the outside. And this was the old bicycle guardrail, like the yep. steel guardrail where the crowd is. Undertaker chokes mankind. He doesn't choke slam him. He just shoves him 
back of mankind's head first into the guardrail and it looks about as painful as anything that I've seen in mm. wrestling. He throws him back of the head first into the steel. He does it twice. I'm sure Mick Foley had a concussion from that because they showed I, it and it looked horrible. I've got written in my notes, this match is not slick at all, but I like that because it is like an actual fight. That like It's, it's literally like we watch... Uh, for the lack of for a lack of better terms, like a lot of matches these days, the moves and and little play by plays look a bit rehearsed. Whereas this, it actually looked like when mankind is getting his head put into the stairs, it looks sloppy because mankind's doing his best not to have Taker put his head into the stairs. <laughs> little things like that really add to this match and add to the violence of it too. Like it's not like we'll set this up and then we'll do this. Everything looks like a consequence. Like it did look like Undertaker was out to try and kill mankind. Oh, absolutely. At another point with the guardrail again, mankind is on the other side where the crowd would be. He's sitting down. Undertaker reaches through the guardrail, grabs Mick Foley like by the shirt or whatever, and just drags him forward, forcing Foley's head to like headbutt the rail. Hmm. And he does it twice again. Yeah, it is just super violent. He's not like, oh, now I'll run across two tables and clothesline you and you know which is awesome and looks like a video game and it's really fun to watch but this was like nah how violent can we make it look like a real street fight i've written down here another one too uh i i did love it when undertaker does old school but it doesn't have an official name it's just look at the agility from the undertaker yeah 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 look at the undertaker fly he also does a different version here he's walking the ropes but then he lets go of mick foley's hand and just does a springboard clothesline which yeah. again is different so cool very cool there too one other thing that i will bring up before we get to the finish and this brutal match mankind gives undertaker the most horrific chair shot to the head on the outside like this is flush smack bang in the middle. No, no, no. That one's brutal. But then the Undertaker pays him back later where he swings the chair at his head like a baseball bat. He doesn't do it <laughs> to on the top. He does swing sideways. And oh my God. Yeah, some of the things that happened in this match, for whatever reason, it was like, did you agree that you were just going to kill Mick Foley in this match? Yeah. And then so strange. The big spot. Mankind is on the apron on the outside of the ring, like where the commentary table is. Undertaker picks up the steel stairs, smashes Foley into it, and Foley goes into the table. But he doesn't do the typical, oh, fall sideways through it. He decides to point his head like an arrow and go head first into the commentary table. Yeah. What is going on in this match? It's yeah, the commentators even point that out too. JR sounds like he went head first into that. Like yeah. <laughs> It's it's such a brutal match, but like, and it's weird because you'd think going into this match, I mean, knowing what we know now, Undertaker and Mick Foley, like Mark Calloway and Mick Foley, great amount of respect for each other and great friends, but they've beaten the hell out of each other. Well, really, it's a precursor to what we see at King of the Ring 98 in the Hell in a Cell. For whatever reason, it was like, all right, I'm just going to kill you. Because we all remember <laughs> Taker throwing Foley off the, the cage. But there's so much more in that match too, which feels unnecessary. Like just everything is is horrible. But anyway, oh my God. that's the respect they have for each other. Such such a strange, strange match. A great match. An absolutely great match too. Oh, and the, the crowd uh, is into this. This finally wakes the crowd up too. So it's it's exciting. 
It's it's a stellar match. You got to check it out if you can. I think it's on many Undertaker or Mick Foley matches. Like when I know that we, we we're using a fair bit of hype to talk about how good Undertaker and Mankind matches are, but they really are. They've got fantastic chemistry between the both of them too. Uh, now this is the part. This is the part that I loved at the end. So there's a post match beatdown by Undertaker. He then sets fire to Paul Bearer, like does a little fireball thing to the face. And mm. all I could say is, can we just stop with fire and wrestling? Like, it's just, it's not worth it. <laughs> I got to say, like, well, I mean, in the year 2021, we could do like camera cuts, you know, with mm. Alexa Bliss and Randy Orton, make sure it works. In 97, you've, you're just trusting that you can light that flash paper and throw it in their face. I think what they were trying to do is that Mankind was going to try and get Taker again. Taker was going to duck and it was going to hit Paul Bearer. Mm-hmm. Mankind couldn't light it. It was so awkward. There's about a minute where they're stalling and they're like, oh, are we in position? Oh, do you have it lit? You don't have it lit. And then they have to like dance around and Undertaker just grabs it off Mick Foley, hits him out of the ring. They sit Paul Bearer in the corner and then it's like, look, I'm just going to have to walk up to you and do it to your face. And Taker struggles to light it with there. With the lighter, well. yeah. He's sitting there with the lighter like he's in a huge gust of wind trying his best and then just sort <laughs> then just sort of like lights it and then throws it and sort of went like, oh, I don't know. <laughs> it kind of hit you. And it's really funny because everyone makes fun of the Ultimate Warrior and Hulk Hogan at Halloween Havoc. Ooh, they couldn't light the paper. The fireball spot was so bad. This one's just as bad this to be fair. So but much worse. But this one doesn't have, you know, the sort of the spotlight on it for obviously reasons, you know, I, the Victor's rewrite history in the war or whatever the expression is the other one too is i also think that the reason that undertaker and man can get away with this one this happens after the match so it's like you've already like right match is done yeah, between yeah. between bell to bell everything went fine afterwards uh, yeah. well, that's just a skit that went wrong and, not the match and i think they had to commit to it and just say no we've still got to do it to para because they could have just said ah whatever you know brawl and give up but I forgot until I saw it how important this actually is because Paul Berry gets burnt with the fire. He goes off TV for a while, you know, with a bandage. And then when he Mm -hmm. comes back, he has his natural hair color and he doesn't wear the makeup anymore. And he's not, you know, he doesn't have black hair anymore. So the flame was the reason why Paul Berry looks different going into the Attitude Era. So if you don't know, this is where that starts. And then also hinting and planting the seeds, fire. Where is fire leading yeah. to in 97 for The Undertaker? So great long-term storytelling. It was a bit dodgy, but I'm pretty sure in video packages moving forward, they make it look awesome. So Yeah. It's kind of like when Jon Stewart hit John Cena with the chair at SummerSlam. <laughs> uh, like, you know, on the live broadcast, horrible. The video packages, man, that Jon Stewart, pretty good. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we then get to uh, a generic in-your-house commercial. Now, this one just sort of seemed very last minute, like, ah, uh, just put the date out for in your for the next in your house and we'll figure out the name later. Mm. Which is what they did here a month ago as well. Remember? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they just couldn't figure <laughs> it out yet. So that'll be pretty cool to sort of see. We then get an interview with Doc Hendricks and Brett Hart. Now, Brett is in full heel mode here. And as I, as I mentioned earlier, seeing Brett as a heel, I don't think he's kind of quite figured it out yet. Like, he knows 
to not be his usual babyface self. Like his attitude has changed, but I don't think he quite knows how to be a heel yet. Which later on in the Heart Foundation's run, he know he nails perfectly. Well, this feels like the same Brett we've gotten since he returned at Survivor Series '96. He's cut a great promo on every pay-per-view, I think, like where yep. he's not fully a heel, but he's not really a face because he doesn't fit in anymore because his morals have, you know, he's to a higher standard. We get more yep. of that here. It's good. It's not as full on as later, but I thought this was good again. And again, continues the trend of like, man, Brett by this point was a good promo. Like it, even if he wasn't flashy and he didn't have 10 catch raises, you believe what he was saying because he, he yeah. believed it. Oh, he believed it 110%. We do get into our next match, the main event, Brett versus Austin. There is literally no waiting. They both get straight into it. Did you notice how many Austin 316 shirts and signs there are in the crowd, though? Yeah, he's getting over. I think at one point, there was a, a point where the crowd didn't know if they should cheer. He taunts Bret Hart like he does the Bret Hart taunt. And there's a few boos still. So there might be some people who aren't fully on board yet. But in terms of selling merch and getting the crowd, you know, to bring their signs. Yeah, Austin is almost there. There is so much hate here between uh, Austin and Brett too. Like, so there's a lot of emotion in the match. You can actually feel it from all the moves. One thing that I thought was awesome was the psychology of Brett. Like, they also they always emphasize Brett is the better wrestler. Brett will out-wrestle Stone Cold Steve Austin, but Austin will fight. So you see some good psycholo- uh, psychology. There's a little cutaway of Paul Bearer being loaded into an ambulance, <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> which takes away from it just a little bit. But um, And going on to what you were saying about uh, Bret Hart actually still having some support, when he is uh, like taking the chair to Austin's knee, there's the crowd starts starts chanting one more time or one more shot yeah is that what that was saying i couldn't figure it out yeah. okay so there is still like people aren't still 100 on the austin bad wagon support is really moving it's it might be like 70 30 but people still love brett as well yeah that's interesting because the next pay-per-view austin gets a title shot against the undertaker the undertaker is established as you know 100 a face so yeah. I, I think from what I remember, even at that next show, the crowd doesn't fully know whether they should cheer Austin. So we're still a few months away from it being 100%, you know, cheer this man. Like they transition slowly, which I think is a good thing. Remember too, Brett, uh, not Brett, um, JR keeps saying, this is not a man that you want to be a role model for your yeah. children. This guy is not a role like. So he's still very much a bad guy, but it's the tide is turning just a little bit. And we One know people... JR's tune would change in a year as well. You know, Correct. <laughs> I love Steve Austin. Everyone cheer him. Like, yeah. Uh, now, before we get to the finish, do you have any idea why? Maybe it's a bit that I missed, but why does Jerry Lawler keep referring to Austin as the machine? We're dismantling the machine. There's a clog. There's a cog in the machine. Brett's taking parts out of the machine. Like, what is going on there? I couldn't figure that out because I know years later, like when Austin was wearing the two knee braces, like um, JR would call him the bionic redneck. There was, I feel like there's never a reference to this again. I didn't understand either. Unless someone said, because, you know, they said he was injured, but he continued the match. Someone might've said Austin is a machine. So Lawler was running with it for this show, but 
yeah, it felt like they were trying to make that a catch, like a, yeah. a nickname, but... And it just made no sense. Absolutely zero sense. And it felt so forced because it was mm. just like, oh, he's the, like, nah, nah. It, let's not do this machine thing, okay? Please, let's move on there. Um, we then do get some shenanigans at the end of the match. Austin gets the DQ win. But, like, it's it's a strange one because while we all hate DQ finishes, we all hate shenanigans and stuff like that, but you kind of needed it to keep Austin fresh because if Austin just snuffed out Bret Hart right now, that's it. Like we don't have the attitude era doesn't take off as far as I'm concerned. Like no. so Bret needs something to sort of keep him going. And they were trying to establish here because even the Hart Foundation in the first match with Owen and Bulldog, they ruined that one too. So I think this show was sort of setting it up that no, you should hate the hearts because they're going to cheat and you know ruin matches so that's what we got here it felt like a little bit of a letdown to mm. to end the pay-per-view this way there wasn't really a big brawl either and and the other thing too is it's it took the wind out of the sails for the crowd like they were so into this match and then it was just like uh yeah like right. oh, is that it yeah um i've got to say for me the I think I've seen this match only a couple of times, but it never stands out. And watching it again, it felt the same. Um, mm. If There's a reason why people don't remember this one. Everyone talks about WrestleMania 13. There are some people like, you know, the hipster choice, they'll say they think Survivor Series 96 is the better say, yeah. match, which I love that match too. Like watching them back, you know, recently, <laughs> only a few months apart again, they're both as good. You know, to me, I think they're both, equally great this one something's missing something's off i don't know if it's a crowd like they're into it a bit not fully i don't know i'm putting this down and i i, I agree with you too like but the reason i think is because brett's not 100 into being a heel yet like austin buys in austin knows what he needs to do like austin's comfortable with his character this is the first pay-per-view match since wrestlemania 13 where brett is on the outs like he doesn't, he still wants to be, but I'm Bret Hart. I won the title and, <laughs> and I defeated Ric Flair for the title. You know, this is still WrestleMania nine, Bret Hart. Mm. And he's tr like, he's clinging on so much. I think it just once, and this is going to sound horrible, but once Bret's life, when he finally like realizes that people are out to get me, people are like, you know, like I, I've been so loyal to the WWF. Like, shouldn't I be getting treated better? And, and, the company is essentially like yeah whatevs hey check out how much sean michaels is and austin's doing and brett really gets bitter that's when he really steps it up a notch he's not he's he's trying to yeah i'll be a team player here right now like brett doesn't commit fully to this yeah like, maybe we need fully bitter brett hart in a couple hmm. of months and he takes it to a new level yeah because you look at so survivor series 96 brett's got something to prove brett's there I am still the greatest technical wrestler. You, Austin, I reckon you're the best wrestler that we have here. So let's make some magic. WrestleMania 13, same thing. It's WrestleMania and I've got a job to make this guy a star. Mm. Whereas now it's kind of like, whoa, 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 hang on a second. I'm still Bret Hart and I'm still a star. <laughs> yeah. And, and I also think because they were like swapping their roles, uh, do you think it could be that this is pretty much the first match ever where Austin has to sell as a good guy? Yeah, and yeah, the crowd I reckon... didn't really know, like, oh, do we cheer him on so he can make a comeback? It just wasn't the same as Austin 
constantly being on Brett as, you know, the, the heel, the couple of times we've seen him so far. But there's a reason why no one talks about this one. Yeah, it's uh, by all means, is it a, it's not a horrible match or anything like that. It's just a, there is so much better. That's, yeah. that's just the best way to put it. I think it. In, in hindsight, Taker and Mankind should have went on last. Yeah, very much so. But look, at the end of the day, too, it's also very good um, showing of faith in Stone Cold Steve Austin. Like, mm. hey, mate, this is the second pay per view that he's ended in 1997 as the last match. Yeah, it's true. Final four and this one. He's already mm. main evented twice. So they're trying it. Um, you know, Sid's gone. Mm. <laughs> Shawn Michaels is is still injured, so they've got yeah, a that smile still missing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So Austin uh, was in a, a fortunate position here, and he makes the most of it. He main events the next pay per view as well, and it's mm. on from there pretty much. Yeah. So all in all, what were your thoughts of uh, Revenge of the Taker? Because to me, this is a show of two halves. And it's very lucky that this is only a two-hour pay-per-view because the first hour, very forgettable. Mm. Second hour, which is just... It's literally two matches make up the second hour. Just um, the Taker and Mankind and Bret and Austin. They, yeah. they go for that long. But you don't feel... like. Put it this way. Rockabilly versus... Um, <laughs> road dog goes for less than 10 minutes it felt like i was sitting there for two hours <laughs> didn't realize it was only 10 minutes to be honest doesn't it feel longer didn't yeah, it feel it like as long as the main event whereas i'm pretty sure that ta- that taker versus mankind goes for about 30 minutes mm. well look a double main event like this you would hope it saves the show look at the four names in there they're four of the greatest of all time taker foley brett austin you can't go wrong even though the the main event wasn't as good as the other matches they've had, still pretty good. And yeah. yeah. So look, a good last hour, but I got to say as the big WWE supporter through 96 and 97, I've been saying how, how much I love these shows. I didn't enjoy this that much. I thought, you know, Taker and Mankind was awesome. Brett and Austin felt like a letdown and the rest of the show was kind of boring. Um, mm. I think next month things pick back up. <laughs> All I can say is that the only thing that gets this thumbs up match for me is the last two matches. But this is because the last pay-per-view I saw was WrestleMania 13 from the WWF. Oh yeah, so this is better are, than that. <laughs> it's better than that. That is all that's the most positive thing I can say because other than that, I think you've nailed it right in the head 100%. <laughs> okay. Who's your MVP for this show if there is one? Uh, does it have to be in ring because otherwise I think Doc Hendricks did a lot of heavy lifting. <laughs> Yeah, you know, we'll just we'll give it to Doc Hendricks. Why not? He earned his pay this night. No, but but this one, I, I'm going to be a little bit controversial. I'll, I'll give it to Owen and Bulldog. Because mm. when you think about it, from the f- opening match to the Road Warriors, like every every segment that they're involved in, they make an impact. They're yeah. not just there. Yeah, that's true. They run through the whole show. Them and Doc Hendricks anchored this show so it was yeah it was a bit of fun from that standpoint but anyway hopefully the next show is better than this Mm, yeah you're not wrong but uh, we're looking forward to another in your house which is coming up i think it is uh Uh, cold day in hell cold day in hell okay some reason i thought it was ground zero but uh it's weird because all those in your houses sort of blend together a little bit because it's you just remember them as in your houses. You don't remember the the subtitles. Yeah, it's a lot better when they cut the in your house from it. Mm. 
But uh, yeah, that was so that was in your house. Revenge of the Taker. We'll be back for another edition of uh, the WWF later on. But next up here on Reliving the War is Spring Stampede 1997. We talked about it briefly in the production about the production values of the pay per view when we did our uncensored special. Do you remember anything about uh, Spring Stampede 97? Yep, Macho Man Randy Savage versus DDP, one of the best matches in WCW's history. I can't wait for that. It's going to be awesome. But aside from that, all I remember is the Cowboy set. So we've got that to look forward to. And and I'm pretty sure Dusty Rhodes is going to be wearing a cowboy hat and the commentary on that show is going to be insane. This is going to be a really good one. Yeah, and we... Macho Man versus DDP. What a hell of a rivalry. I'm looking forward to this pay-per-view a hell of a lot. But uh, yeah, that wraps up another edition of Reliving the War. You can check out the archives on the Grey Wolf Wrestling page. Head to greywolfentertainment.net to catch up on all of the wrestling info. If you want to follow Simon, you can do so at Simon Tackler on Facebook. Not Facebook at Simon Tackler on Instagram and on Twitter. You can follow me on Twitter at Doc Nims or at The Amin Show on Instagram. But uh, Simon, this has been a lot of fun. Let's do it again same time next week with Spring Stampede. This has been another presentation from the Grey Wolf Entertainment Network. GreyWolfEntertainment.net.